What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Hi there. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. By way of introduction, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me at gusto-now.com or elisecortez.com. Before we get out of the program, I have to thank my partner and my sponsor, Work Proud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. Work Proud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. Work Proud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. You can check them out at workproud.com. Now, on to this week's program. With us today is Robert White, who is a speaker, author, leadership trainer, and executive coach who specializes in integrating a heart-centered, result-oriented, and transformational leadership approach to being effective. We'll be talking about what he's learned by serving in the personal growth and leadership transformation industry over, over a half a century. And he joins us today from Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Robert, welcome to Working on Purpose. Hello, hello. It's great to be with you. Oh, my goodness. It's just wonderful to be literally talking with a living legend, Robert. It is so great to have you on the show and share you with listeners across the globe, many of whom you've touched with your programs. And so thank you for being with us. It's uh, it's a great pleasure, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, we have to first get by start get started by asking the simple question of why. Uh, as far as I can tell by looking at your background, you got into the personal growth and transformation in- industry. It looks like 1973, um, and so we got it. And you've been doing this ever since, right? This you got the bug, and you never really, really left. And so, first, we have to know why this space. Well, I got into the uh, industry actually in 1971, but in 1968. I attended one of the early uh, human potential movement trainings, and it's a cliche all these years later, but it changed my life for the better. And uh, that led to my enrolling a lot of people into that training. They found out about me. I got hired as president of that company that uh, sponsored that original program uh, to run the business of their business. So that's how I got started. Mm. Okay, so now just now in this conversation, this is one of the greatest things about hosting the show, Robert, is every single week I learn something new and amazing and I get amazing insights myself. So I just now maybe put something together and I'm wondering if you could speak to this. I am a Maslow fan. I'm a positivist psychology kind of a person and I know his earlier realm would have been the 60s. And I'm just wondering, you know, this there was clearly something in the water, if you will, at about that time when you got involved in, in this personal growth and transformation sort of industry and space. What were all these commingling factors and was Maslow's work a part of that contribution? Uh, You know, I didn't really know about anything except that original program, Mind Dynamics. But when I joined the company and moved to California, the kind of the hotbed, Northern California was 
the place where all the uh, at that time, fruits and nuts hang out, and uh, you know. Uh, so I learned a lot about uh, all of these other programs that had uh, been started around that time, about where they came from, about the commonality, about the differences in approach, and uh, uh, Mind Dynamics was probably the the first one to do large group uh, and and successful worldwide kinds of programs. Hmm. It's really it's really phenomenal to me to really witness, bear witness, just to really what you and your team have done over all these years. It's just phenomenal. And and I want to this is really fun for me to showcase because I am very riveted on the the role and function of the education space. And, and of course, you have something very cheeky on your LinkedIn profile and that you sort of playfully declare that um, you are you declare yourself a college dropout. So at first, I want to know why. What did you study, and why did you did you drop out? What was that whole experience of being in college and dropping out like for you? Well, I'm in good company as a dropout, of course, uh, with yes, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and mm-hmm. a bunch of others. Uh, mine was not uh, directly by choice. I I walked into a finals after my first semester, and. Uh, walked down to the front road. I saw a seat in the front row of this big amphitheater. So uh, I walked down uh, intending to get that front seat. And in the meantime, a quite attractive young lady walked in from the side door and took the seat. I turned around, took one step up and had a heart attack. Uh, It was the first of three. So I got taken out of college, uh, not because I didn't like it or, you know, any of those normal reasons. I got taken out because I was uh, pretty ill. So, uh, that's Robert, nice how old were you? 19. And I had another one at 23, 21 and 23. Uh, so it uh, changed the trajectory of my life quite a bit. Well, how so? You can't just dangle that and, and stop there. How so? What happened after having a heart attack at 19 and then another at 21? And 23. I uh, I have what's called a right bundle branch block, a breakage in the nerve tissue on the surface of my heart. And uh, it's also one of the things that got me into the business because it, I had daily chest pain until I was 27. And then I went through this training. I learned how to relax and how to, uh, in effect, heal myself. And uh, the chest pain stopped. And with the exception of a divorce later in life, I haven't had any chest pain since then. <laughs> that is amazing, Robert. Wow, what a testament. Well, I guess, because I have been really profoundly curious to understand just how it is that you've been able to stay riveted in this space for so long, so dedicated. And I didn't know this part of your story at all. So thank you for sharing that really important personal part of your past. Um, and what a, doesn't that just speak to the power of the work that you've been doing? Uh, you know, I uh, I did not understand that training that I went through at 27. I just know that when I left it, things started to clear up in my life, just in the process of life itself. You know, when I went into the training, I did have the daily chest pain. I had been told I would die by 35 and there was nothing they could do about it. Uh, I uh, was failing. I had failed in marriage an early marriage and I felt guilty about it. I had, I was late in paying payroll in my little company. I mean, my life was a mess. Of course, I walked in with 
the big image, you know, everything's okay, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, you know, kind of more of a male thing, I think, than female, <laughs> uh, but hiding all of my problems. Uh, a good friend knew of them and that's the, and he kind of leveraged me into that training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the, the chest pain stopped, the income went up three times in one year and 10 times the following year. My relationships got better. So what's driven me uh, all of these years is I find uh, great pleasure in facilitating a, a space for, for that to happen for other people. You know, everybody comes into those trainings in a different place and some in more of a need and some of them just because it sounds like fun. Um, but I don't care why they're there. I know what's possible for them in a, a high impact experiential learning event. And I get great, great, great pleasure when I know I had something to do with that, that delivery, that result. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense for our listeners um, by the, to, to hear a little bit about just the, your background. And you do really quick, do a beautiful job of, in your book of sharing just what, how it is that you got into that training. And I really did appreciate learning that. Um, I don't think I read about if you put the heart attack part in there. I did not catch that. But did you did you write about the heart attack in your book? No, I, I really had been hiding it for years. And, and people do ask me about my story. And mm-hmm. I would just tell them that I went to the training and I made more money and better relationships. Uh, I think there's probably a very deep part in me that where there's some shame or something, or you know, I think for men particularly, our physical vitality is so important to us. Mm-hmm. And so to talk about a weakness is difficult. Uh, later in life, I had a couple of friends uh, at different times commit suicide, and I've learned a lot about the link between a lack of physical vitality in men and suicide. Uh, I, I mean, I never got to that point, but uh, it's it's very important to us. So I, I've hidden it. And also, I don't talk about healing when I talk about our training, because then, you know, you get all these psychologists and medical doctors come after you. So, uh, (laughs) but recently, in the last five years or so, I, I don't have any secrets. Mm. I think it's so healthy, right? I I had Renee Cermak on on with me from PSI a couple of weeks ago, because I'd recently gone through the PSI training. Like, you know, I probably like you, I've spent a lot of my life going to these because I want to become the best version of myself. And of course, being able to tell our secrets is very, very important. Um, I think it makes sense, Robert. Could you just quickly um, showcase for our listeners and our viewers just what you've done? You've built several companies and, and you've been in Japan and such. Can you just showcase that for us really quick to situate just really who you are? Uh, I was with Mind and Ebbings for four years. I learned a lot from the originator of this kind of work, Alexander Everett. He was a mentor. He was a friend. Uh, When he left the company, when he sold his shares, I ended up working for a probate judge. That was not good. Uh, So (laughs) I left. I uh, started a company called LifeSpring, which and uh, I later sold it. It went on to... Uh, reach over half a million people in, in 17 U.S. cities. Uh, but when I sold it, I sold it for nothing down and forever to pay to the team. And uh, so now I put all my money in it. So I've got a wife and a child and a mortgage and no money and no job. And uh, years earlier, I had been to Japan. It was the only foreign country uh, for Mind Dynamics where I said no. 
and they kept pursuing me through the about a three-year period and they changed their offer and it was literally the day after i left life spring they called and said please come for 90 days to tokyo and uh, we'll pay you for one year and, and and years later people say well did you go to japan because you had a vision of spreading this kind of work in asia and the answer really is no uh, i needed a job and I, I wanted that job to be in an area that I love doing. So that part of the purpose thing was there. Uh, I went for 90 days. I stayed 12 years the first time. And uh, so ARC International was in uh, seven cities in Japan, two in Taiwan, one in Guangzhou, mainland China, one in Sydney, one in Manila, a, uh, a failure in Seoul, Korea. Uh, so we're all over Asia. We became Asia's largest training company, you know, 240 professional staff, 70 full-time trainers, and uh, mm. and great fun. Mm. What an imprint, right? I always have, uh, anybody who's listened to me even a couple of times would, would recognize that I always have this, this saying, and what will you do with your one precious life? And you certainly have touched a lot of other lives with your precious life. And I just really applaud that and making that difference. As you say, you find a lot of fulfillment in knowing you've been somewhere on, on the journey with them. Uh, yes. I, and in the early days, I did the trainings because in a startup, you do everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, leading trainings at that time was not personally fulfilling. What was fulfilling was being in the back of the room, knowing that I trained that trainer, knowing that I had something to do with putting those butts in seats. And, and I just got tremendous pleasure from that. And, and uh, uh, only in the last six years have I reconnected with the joy of actually doing the work in the room. So uh, it's so I've always received great personal rewards, great pleasure from doing this work. I mean, plenty of problems, you know, I, I slept on a partner's sofa for eight months at the beginning of the company and had no salary for the first two years. You know, they, I mean, we I we had guest events where nobody came. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I've got all of those failure stories also. And so, has happened but it, overall it worked out well and you know it gave me a tremendous lifestyle in addition to doing work that i felt was meaningful mm -hmm. what i appreciate about your sharing robert and listeners and viewers please pay attention to this the real deal right there's no punches here it wasn't all glamorous it was hard they, they, i love the, the stories of sleeping on the couch and nobody's showing up kind of thing i mean that's what it takes right if you're going to go for something in life yeah. that's what it takes and there's no way around it so Thank you for being real. That's you know, what I want. Uh, the, uh, my, my partnership was actually in our sales training business, and uh, which was chewing up a lot of cash and not bringing in very much at first. And my partner had nine children. Actually, they had 10 and, and unfortunately lost one to leukemia. But, you know, there's something really special as a memory to waking up on a sofa uh, <laughs> because you, you, you sense of a person standing next to the sofa like four inches from your face when you wake up in the morning <laughs> because he's eager to get on with life you know what am i doing sleeping <laughs> uh so i have a lot of those kinds of stories i you know my my wife and son had to return to the u.s and we had to live separately for a year uh that was hard uh but 
at the same time, that provided a basis for everything that came after that, which was incredible. Mm. Uh, it's now it's just a good memory. Mm. You broke up there a little bit here, but let's, we think we got most of the gist of that, Robert, but let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We were in there with Robert White. He is a speaker, author, leadership trainer, and executive coach who specializes in integrating a heart-centered, result-oriented, and transformational leadership approach to being effective. We've been talking a bit about how he got into the personal transformation space. After the break, we're going to talk more about the mechanics of it. Why does it work so well, his particular approach? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. Uh, in response to some inquiries that I've gotten from a few of you about helping companies care for their employees as the pandemic continues and anxiety, stress, depression, and feeling disconnected are on the rise in the workplace, we have launched a well-being webinar and learning series to nurture and build individuals from the inside out. So if you're interested in knowing more about that, contact me at Elise Cortez or at EliseLiseCortez.com. I'll give you more of the details and give you the, the chance to be able to learn how to customize that, et cetera. But it's just, it's just fresh. Into our program, if you're just joining us, my guest is Robert White. He is a speaker, author, leadership trainer, and executive coach who specializes in integrating a heart-centered, result-oriented, and transformational leadership approach to being effective. He joins us today from Wheat Ridge, Colorado. I am your host, Elise Cortez. So, Robert, one of the things that's really terrific about, about the work that you do, and I know it too because I've, I've been in enough trainings that I can distinguish this, but what you really specialize in is experiential learning. So, for listeners and viewers that don't know what that means, if you could first distinguish what are other ways that learning is often taught and how is experiential learning different? You know, a common a metaphor that's used is riding a bicycle. There's actually a book published by somebody here in Denver. Uh, I do not recommend the book, but the title is great, which is <laughs> you don't learn from a lecture. Uh, you got to get on the bike and uh, there's probably a coach there. There's probably, you know, someone to help you. There's probably some fear. Uh, you're taking a risk being on those two wheels instead of two feet. And uh, you pro- you might fall down, skin your knee and cry, but you never forget how to ride a bicycle. If you don't ride a bike for 10 years, you can get on one and maybe you're a little shaky at first, but you have had the experience. There is a muscle memory and, and a, a, you know, there's all kinds of brain science now about this, that that is something you know how to do. And uh, uh, so, what we do in our trainings are a series of very structured, safe, but occasionally a feeling of in your to desire and in how you want to show up in the world. Uh, and there are a lot of examples that, that maybe take a little too long to talk about, but 
the reason that a million uh, and 300,000 people have been through the two companies that I've founded and led is because the experience is so vivid and so long lasting in terms of shifting your perception on your life, what it's about and where where you want it to go. Um, all of our programs are structured around three things, uh, pretty simple things, but uh, not easy and profoundly useful. Uh, the first is to complete your past. Many of us mm -hmm. have some negative energy on some aspect of our past. It might be blame, it's shame, regret. It might be success that was appropriate five years ago or 10 years ago, but no longer works for you. Uh, it might be unfortunately abuse. It might be uh, too much praise. I mean, all kinds of things that we carry with us as a burden. So shifting that energy from negative to positive has incredible freeing effect on a human being. So that's one third of our program. One third is learning how to better tell the truth about current reality. Uh, human beings, especially in the developed world, develop this unmatched ability to, pardon the term, bullshit ourselves, <laughs> to not be able to describe what's right in front of us and that other people can see, but we don't see it. The, you know, the, the two Buddhist statements in that area are that, first of all, fish don't describe water very well. Whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever we're swimming in, uh, we don't see it. And, uh, you know, there's a video on uh, YouTube. And, and actually, I think if you just, if you Google uh, girl with nail in the forehead. Nail, oh, I've, I've seen that, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, she's got a nail in her forehead and she's in total denial about it, right? Uh, and the Buddhists also say that a different way of, of languaging it is to develop a selfless regard for reality. Usually our image, our need to be right, our need to feel kind of interimly good about ourselves gets in the way of our ab ability to t tell the truth about ourselves, about other people, about the events in our life. So if you get better at that, your life will clear up just in the process of telling the truth. And then finally, if you've done the first two steps, if you've cleared your past, completed it somewhat, if you gotten better at receiving feedback about what's really going on in your life, then you have created a space where you can actually choose your future. Mm -hmm. And for many people, uh, your, your future has not been chosen. It has been a product of what your parents wanted for you or what the culture says is a good thing for you, uh, uh, a product of uh, a limiting belief, perhaps, that you have about not being enough. Uh, there's a lot of things that prevent us from actually being at choice about our future. And yet, if we, if we just go to the library and read a bunch of books on it, people that have accomplished a lot, a, a commonality in many, many of them is they were really, really clear about their future. They chose it free of their past and paying attention to uh, rigorously paying attention to telling the truth about current reality. So those are the three uh, kind of structural aspects that all of our programs and, and my executive coaching. 
Okay, so I heard what you sort of cut out there again. So what I heard you say is those three aspects are in all are in all of your training programs and your executive coaching. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Great. Um, all right. So what I want to do next, and this was, as you know, I read, I read your book. I read my, my guest book cover to cover. And one of the things that you say in your book that I think really speaks to the visceral nature of what I think you were starting to queue up there for us, I'm going to quote it from your book, um, is it, you say, quote, there can be no transformation, no awakening, no personal growth without the here and now experience of life, which involves every part of us, our bodies, minds, feelings, and spirit, not just our intellect. So you're already saying that, this notion of experiential. But what I hear, though, that's much bigger. That's a bigger statement. That's more encompassing. Say more about why that's so powerful and so important to really commingle all those pieces of us. You know, a four-day or two four-day experiences or even, you know, six months of executive coaching are no substitute for simply noticing what's going on in your body, in your mind, in your feelings, uh, in your spirit. Uh, that developing a greater awareness, a greater sense of noticing makes you the trainer, makes you the educator for the unique person that you are. You know, there's not another person like you out of 7 billion plus. And uh, so who's the best expert on you? It is, in fact, you. It's not me. It's not a a teacher. It's not a guru. So if you can start to really notice Uh, You know, let's start with body sensations. Generally, the people in the East are better uh, in Asia are better at this than we in the West are. But what is it that causes that little tightening around the eyes or that slight feeling of nausea nausea when you're in a certain situation? Uh, What's the real message when you're doing a, a little five minute public talk? What is it that causes you to be Uh, nervous in a disabling way. You know, all of those things are signals from our body that there's something out of alignment uh, within us. And uh, that exploring that is where the growth is. So body, mind, and spirit is not just some kind of a slogan or a bumper sticker. It it is, in fact, uh, an area for greater awareness. One of the things that I've learned doing this work is the value of anything that triggers you emotionally. Mm-hmm. So what is it that causes you to just experience incredible joy? There's a message in that for you. Mm-hmm. What is it that, that creates sadness? You know, uh, I, I had an incredible growth experience uh, of all places on a 747 in first class. Mm-hmm. I, you know, they serve the, the, glass of champagne and the warm nuts and i i had just bought a new cd player i put it a friend had sent this cd to me from uh, mary chapin carpenter the great remember her great storyteller incredible writer uh, author and and uh songwriter and singer and uh, the song's called jubilee and I, i'm listening to the song and suddenly i realized that tears are running cheeks because what happened there is that that her poetry unlocked a place in me that I had not been paying attention to and led to some reading, some conversations with people. That was a big personal growth breakthrough for me. You know, and at that time, I'm supposed to be the big deal that has it all together. <laughs> but that big deal was sitting on the airplane crying in front of a lot of people. 
mm-hmm. because but anything that triggers your a strong emotion sadness anger fear joy you know kind of the four big ones and uh, uh, anything that triggers those kinds of feeling creates an opening for you to discover something about you and and uh, and what's next for you in terms of uh, learning and growth and development. I so appreciate your saying this the way that you are, Robert, because one of the things that I do in my work with with, with inside companies and with, with leaders is, is to help them develop greater access once again to their emotional spectrum. Because what I find is that so many people have so narrowed it down to just a small little window because they've shut themselves off from the world that they, they don't have access to their emotions anymore. So part of our work yeah. is to get them reacquainted with those beautiful sentient beings of ourselves. So that was gorgeous. Um, I want to grab this really quick before we go into our next break here, too. I, I really love what you have in your book about the ARC seminar model, and I think that would be very useful for our listeners and our viewers. It's for awareness, responsibility, and communication. So I guess I really want to understand this. Those are three very specific things. Why do you think, why have you come to believe that those are so important for effectiveness? Uh, it's partially because it's what's missing for many of us, uh, which is the, that awareness. I've talked about it as, you know, the greater state of noticing uh, that we uh, we're not like the hamster on the wheel, that uh, today is just like yesterday and tomorrow is going to be the same, but that we wake up uh, to uh, to our body, to our feelings, to our thinking, to the people around us to the signals that we're getting all of the time. We get out of the drift, out of the kind of numbness that this crazy life we've created tends to create. So as a tool, greater awareness has been taught for thousands of years. You know, Lao Tzu and Confucius and Jesus Christ and the list goes on and on. All the great teachers taught that. Mm -hmm. Slow down, take a deep breath, notice. Uh, And then taking personal responsibility. We live in an overwhelmingly victim culture. Mm -hmm. So having reasons, stories and excuses for that, which is not working in our life, uh, is an absolute barrier to accomplishment. And uh, then finally, everything in life shows up as communication. We are social creatures and our ability to hear, our ability to speak, our ability to write, our ability to engage others through communication is a crucial life tool. So those three things uh, are, again, foundational aspects of the work that I've done. And as you noticed, it's how the book is organized, uh, talking about our participants and how they interact with those three qualities uh, when they come into our training. One of the most common complaints I have about my book is people come and say, I thought it would be about you, about Robert. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about me. And for most people, it's a secret. <laughs> so, Well, that's why they get they have to come in and listen to this part of your world where the book is really about te- teaching your techniques and your methodology and such. And here in these kinds of conversations, we get to be part of your very personal private world. So thank you for that. It's it's I wasn't at all disappointed. I got exactly what I wanted from your book. So happy to share that. Let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been the air with Robert White, who is a speaker, author, leadership trainer and executive coach who specializes in integrating a heart centered, result oriented and transformational leadership approach to being effective. We've been talking a bit about really getting under the covers of why his training works so well. After the break, we're going to talk more about why people resist this kind of training and what's in it for them when they don't stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I have to tell you a fun sort of Sharon story, if you don't know this already, but during the pandemic, yours truly, me, I had a baby. Uh, yeah, it's not quite the traditional kind. It's actually like a little four. It's uh, It's got pages in it, so it's a book. It's called Purpose oh. Ignited. Uh, it's And I, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Right? I'm, I know you're like, what? Uh. Are you sure? Uh, but you know, what was so great about it is the pandemic gave me that time. It gave me the, the space to be able to have that stillness that we were talking about in the last segment. And I really wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and their purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and, tr- and elevate the contribution of the business to the stakeholders. That's why I wrote it. It was, it was an awakening book. So I loved it. Um, the next one that I'm working on is about activating. But anyway, so that was great gobs of fun. With us today, of course, is Robert White. Um, he is coming in from Colorado. He His book is, is it called The Transformational, The Extraordinary Life. Um, I read it cover to cover in preparation for this conversation. I recommend it. For this next segment, we want to get into just what it is that makes people resist this kind of thing. Why is this such hard work? So before we get into that, Robert, what I want to see if we can presence at all on some level is if you have any sense of what percentage of the global population that's alive today that has taken any personal growth or transformation training do you have any idea what that looks like what percentage of that is of the the population is i know the goal i know a little bit of the social science for uh, transforming the planet so i know the goal i don't know the result frankly i i can you know like those two companies that i founded and led to have a a million three hundred thousand graduates uh the landmark s slash landmark organization i understand is now more than seven million uh, mm. graduates around the world uh, there are people like uh, uh, Tony Robbins that while he doesn't do deep transformational work, he does very good reframing and very good motivational work. And I don't know his number of participants, but it's huge. Uh, I mean, he, he really does reach large numbers. Mm-hmm. The, and I think people that have a company, I think this kind of very rough, totally not provable uh, piece of knowledge is useful. Mm-hmm. And that is that for a system to sh- shift and, you know, we did, I've done a lot of work on corporate culture change and the number and it's, it's 20% of the people shift, then the company will shift. You don't have to worry about the 80%. The 20% will get them. The people that were open to the change and really adopt it if that number reaches 20% of any population, uh, you know, that would mean that in the case of, uh, of the world, you know, you'd have to have uh, 1.4 b- billion people 
wake up and start really living from a one world, one people perspective. Uh, we're a long way from that. Uh, I, I do think you can look at certain companies. That's actually where it's showing up most clearly for me is companies that really live uh, an enlightened, informed, uh, as ser with servant leaders and, and a public spirited culture. Yes. Uh, I think we can find some examples. I wouldn't, you know, there's, uh, I'm, is it, it's not uh, Myanmar. One of the South, small Southeastern Asian companies has a, uh, they don't measure gross national product. They grow, they measure gross national happiness. Right? It's Bhutan. Yeah, it's it Bhutan. Bhutan. Right. Yeah. I was supposed to do a race there last year. I know it well. I looked into it. But of course, the pandemic uh, stalled that for us. But yes, and that isn't that amazing. And OK, so this is really exciting, Robert. 20, if we can get to 20 percent, then we have a chance to really start to, to move the tide. And by the way, Robert, this is exactly why I work with companies and not just individuals, because I am looking for that bigger mass, too, to be able to r raise that consciousness, raise that awareness, to be able to start to really push that tide. So this is really exciting to me to be even talking about this with you. And I do sense that there is more people awakening. There's more talk about purpose and meaning and consciousness. I, I just, I, I feel in my bones that there's a, like, it's, it's like the rocket that's on, you know, on, on the Florida soil and it's rumbling and rumbling. It's trying to take off. It's trying to take off. And it's, it's there. It's I, so I'm determined that in my lifetime that we're, we're going to get to that 20%. <laughs> Um, you're freezing again, so I'm, I'm going to take. Well, you I prefer to think that. Oh, go ahead. You prefer to think what? And I'm missing a lot. And I'm missing a lot of your uh, uh, question also. So, we, technology is not cooperating with us today. That's okay. We're determined. We're going to carry on. Um, all right. So we're, now we're carrying on. Absolutely right. You know, this is how it goes in life, especially in the pan pandemic has taught us all kinds of things. Um, okay. So now what we have to get to, and I would love your perspective on this, Robert. Why are people so resistant? Now, before you answer that question, I, I, I'm very, in, I, I personally have gone through a lot of training, a lot of work, and I'm constantly studying in my life. I wish you could see my beautiful bookshelf from here. I'm very hungry for growth and development, but I also know it's a lot of work. And so sometimes when I'm working with people and I think, why wouldn't you want to do this? This is so amazing. I also recognize this is a lot of work. But what's your perspective, Robert? Why don't people embrace this idea of personal growth and transformation? Why do they resist? You know, there's a very long and involved answer that really has to do with uh, uh, spirit, uh, and it's more spiritual in terms of the form. Uh, I'd like to use a, a maybe more practical kind of approach to your question, which is a really good one, and one I've grappled with with myself and with others for years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we teach in our work that we are just an expression of a whole lot of beliefs, we have beliefs about money, beliefs about family, beliefs about the way things should be, the beliefs about politics. You know, we got a zillion beliefs and beliefs are useful in terms of uh, our operating on a daily basis. We don't have to think a lot about a lot of things. Uh, you know, an exercise that I often do in trainings is to have people imagine being in a, a supermarket. They see a, a harried mom with a three year old who's acting up. And uh, he's uh, uh, grabbing things off the shelf and making a mess. And then he throws himself on. The, she tries to quiet him. He throws himself on the floor and does this little rage attack attack. 
and you witness it, how do you react? You don't have to think about it. Your reaction, and you, when you do this with 300 people, it's incredible to hear the variety of reaction to the same event. And that's because we all have a, a different belief because the woman reaches down, she's had it. She reaches down, grabs them by the arm, picks them up and slaps them on the butt. What's your reaction? Well, there's a cohort that says, you never hit it. You know, there's a cohort that says, well, I'll pick up the stuff on the, on the floor for the mom. I won't say anything. I mean, you know, all these reactions to one event. So whatever our belief is about ourselves is uh, important in terms of your question, because it will e you're either the kind of person that tries new things and is constantly searching and looking, or you're somebody that said, I've got it all together. And I was like that at 27. I've got it together. I hadn't met payroll. I'm feeling guilty. <laughs> you know, I, I've got daily chest pain, but I've got it all together. So what stops us is being right about some set of beliefs mm -hmm. that stops us. Uh, kind of clean up some language, but it was called asshole theater. So we asked <laughs> these executives to do this little play where they would play their the opposite gender. Mm. Uh, you know, so dynamite exercise, dynamite exercise, but we renamed it. <laughs> but it was to get people out of that shell of who they th say that they are. And I'm one of those people. I, you know, the, the joke in my family, Elise, is that Robert was born in a three piece suit. That, that's how they say it. I'm, my brothers and sister. You know, that's how they experienced me growing up because I was always starting a business. I was always dressed formally, not informally. And I was a prisoner of this need to always appear together, you know? Uh, so a prisoner of my own image. And that image piece, in my experience, is what stops uh, particularly executives from stepping into some experience that would make them more human, more vulnerable. You know, Brene Brown's uh, YouTube videos, a lot of them are about vulnerability. Yes. And yet, yet what, and, and they're brilliant, I think. Uh, I wish I was that good on a video, you know. Uh, she's, I mean, she's so good at being very vulnerable herself. Yes, you know? she is. And, and also funny. I know she's, you know, she's one of those people you don't roar in laughter, but you find yourself chuckling through the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all about being vulnerable. And yet most executives, I don't know if it's most, but many executives have uh, adapted, adopted kind of an armor so that you don't know how they feel. You don't know how they think. Uh, you don't know about their life as, as human beings. A big barrier in of culture one where people are more real, where there's more truth told. Uh, so what stops us is our image, Gen as, a, as a bumper sticker catchphrase. Uh, it's deeper than that, but that's the way it sh usually shows up. Uh, 
All right, there was a bit of delay there, but I, we got the idea about the image really getting in our way here. So we're getting very close to the end of this time already here. And I wanted to be sure and, and have you speak a little bit, Robert, that I know that today in your executive coaching, you're, you're focused on the areas of purpose, vision, and values. Um, so just briefly, what does that work look like? Why is that so important? Uh, well, I think there's no one really successful in any area of life that doesn't have a coach somebody to be an accountability partner, somebody to be, uh, to ask the right questions, somebody to, uh, sometimes it's, it's being a cheerleader, sometimes it's being a mirror, holding up that mirror to behavior that doesn't work. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've spent most of my life either enrolling people into a high impact experience or conducting one myself. Uh, because of the virus, that's just not possible right now. But I have discovered that using uh, Zoom or, or StreamYard or something, uh, technology, is that I can be that accountability partner. I can bring my life experience and what I've learned about transformational leadership to bear uh, by getting together with people on a regular basis, being the mirror, being the cheerleader, being showing them a structure that interrupts uh, attitudes, habits, and behaviors. I think anybody that that wants to say that they're working to support accomplishment, it, it comes from, and it's another one of those threes, you know, mm -hmm. everything's mm -hmm. a three, but it's, if, if I'm not helping people shift their attitude, their habits and their behaviors, then there aren't gonna be any results. And if there aren't any results, we'll fall back to the old way of being. And uh, they've spent some time and money with me that uh, is not, uh, it's not worth it. So that's my focus. Uh, what can I do to be an accountability partner? What can I do to be a mirror? What can I do to get you to look at areas of your life that perhaps you have not been willing to look at or just were not aware that you need to look at it? Uh, so that, because what creates lasting change is results whatever, and, and those results can be anything you identify, but if you don't get results, you, you'll slide back to the old you. That's my life experience with myself and in working with other people. Well, and I wanted to ask you that just quickly, if we can, um, how have you evolved in doing this work for a half of a century, Robert? How, do, how would you say that you've evolved doing this work? Uh, when I first started, I, I led the trainings because in a startup, that's what you do. Uh, but I never enjoyed it. I, as quickly as possible, I started hiring and training trainers. So at, at its zenith with my company, we had 70 full-time trainers. I would say that one third of them were miles better than me. Uh, you know, they do it all the time. They're thrown to do it. They love it. They really have worked on their skills and their consciousness. Uh, one third are learning, We're talking, you know, in terms of hierarchy the bottom third are learning and uh, they're conducting the trainings, but they're still getting a lot of feedback, a lot of growth themselves. Mm -hmm. The middle third are uh, workmen like and or work woman like. And I'm in, I was in that one third in the middle, mm -hmm. but I understood enough about our work. So I was pretty good at training trainers. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a setting I, I was familiar with and I, I was happy to do it. Uh, seven years ago, 
I hadn't done one of our trainings for over 20 years. I mean, other people did the training. I ran the company. And one of our trainers got uh, blacklisted from going to, of all places, Kazakhstan. And at the last minute, I covered for him. Mm. And what I learned in terms of your question, uh, in our business, everything for the trainer is measured in terms of upgrade. If people go through this basic training, how many of them enroll in the advanced training? And okay. how, do the, how many go on and go deeper? And we had 17 years of numbers, and that number is 53%. So about half of the people that go to the first training go to the second. Uh, 10 over seconds, the Robert. Sorry, 10 seconds. We're, we're oh. running out of time. 10 seconds. Ah, okay. I got 90%. And I, I, what I realized is I had grown. I, I was being the training, not doing it. Mm. And so that's something I treasure and that I continue to work on. Oh my gosh, Robert, that is a smashing way to finish our conversation. Thank you so much. I am so glad I got the chance to meet you and be in your world. And I am going to come visit you. So look out. And I'm an excellent eater. So make sure that the portions are large. Um, listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Robert, the best way to go about that is go to his website. It's extraordinarypeople.com. Robert, thank you so much for being with us and being, being a guest of Working on Purpose. Listeners and viewers, we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.